This week on the Saber.com podcast, what's Rocky Balboa have to do with Brennan Armstrong? Breaking down the Clemson and NC State games on the football schedule, a basketball schedule update, and Billboard Music Award nominees. Let's go. The online source for the serious Wahoo fan, thesaber.com. And we're off another episode of the Saber.com podcast. Jeff Sweatman, your host, joined by the experts at the Saber.com analysis galore and plenty to look into with the uh, the latest game versus the number one team in the land. We got Chris Wright and Chris Horn to dissect the game that was. I'll leave my own personal opinions out of it for now, guys. I think you know where I stand on the uh, the bubble screen. <laughs> and just take it away. What were your impressions, uh, you know, in terms of the game plan and how UVA executed that game plan? The reporters kind of followed up with Coach Mendenhall today. We get them after the game via Zoom, but when it's an 8 p.m. game, <laughs> pretty short little visits uh, with the media at 1130 when you're trying to get back from South Carolina during a pandemic. He clarified, he said, basically, like, we didn't want to give up anything big, like over the top, because we feel like Clemson just wipes people out with those type of plays early in games. So their plan was to take away the deep throws, right? They did give up one um, of 27 yards. I would call that a, a, a explosive play. I don't know if they counted it on their own charts or not. And that was just a ridiculous throw and catch. I mean, he threw him open just like we talked about last week. So otherwise, they didn't give up any really big home run passes. They took care of that part. The next piece of the game plan was to tackle really well because you're keeping everything in front of you and then try to pressure and, and keep Lawrence from scrambling. Well, that part of the game plan didn't go quite as well. Uh, Etienne, uh, particularly on those third and long screen passes, flat passes, stuff like that, they just had all kinds of trouble tackling him in particular. And that was number two on the, the game plan list. And that's where the main breakdown was. But in terms of my overall impression, I thought Virginia was decent, not great. You know, I think anytime you're you're watching as a coach or a fan and you're going, well, you know, if we can convert right here, we're within two scores or we're within 10 points or whatever, that tells you you're a little bit farther out of touch than you think you are. So you're in the game, yes. You have a chance, yes. Um, but it's not as close as you think. It's like when the in the cartoons where the big dog is holding the little dog back by his forehead. It's kind of like that. That's what it felt like the whole game to me. Whereas back in December, it didn't even feel like that. It just felt like the big dog ran him off the porch back then. At least this time he was holding them back. Yeah, I mean, I think what um, encouraged me was the confidence that the offense showed on, uh, especially the the first drive of the second half. Um, they had closed to within 14 at halftime on a couple of uh, three nice throws by Armstrong on that final drive of the half. And then they came out and they looked really confident, which uh, – you know, that's, that's pretty tough to do against the number one team in the country at their place. Of course, it wasn't obviously a packed house, but it was the first time Virginia had seen, you know, some fans in a stadium anyway. But um, they came out that they looked confident on that drive. Um, obviously, Armstrong just underthrew Lavelle Davis Jr. and the cornerback made a phenomenal play. But they put themselves in a position, you know, just hearing Armstrong after the game, I think he kind of get a little bit of his competitive edge you know he was expecting to score and he seemed confident that, that they were going to score and you know it would have been interesting after that you know Clemson's Clemson I think uh it's kind of a pick your poison type of deal uh certainly with them and uh you know I think Virginia wanted to make them drive the length of the field and and make the plays that they had to make which was to convert third downs to stay on the uh, stay on the field uh, put together long drives instead of the what coach Mendenhall mentioned the shock and all which is coming out with these deep touchdowns all over the place and, and kind of knocking you back right away. So I think UVA kind of accomplished what they what they wanted to, but certainly I think they're they must be a little bit peeved looking back at some of the plays that uh, with the 
the tackling. <laughs> a third down on ETN. I remember one play, uh, third and two, where he broke for a 16-yard touchdown, but UVA had him. <laughs> had him right had him there for times. a loss. Yep, and yeah. he, he broke three three tackles um, before going into the end zone. And then there, you know, a couple of the swing passes to ETN, or at least one of them, you know, there were no UVA defenders, defenders like within range of him. So, you know, I think they had – I don't know if they weren't kind of counting on them, you know, going to those kind of short little dump-offs uh, or whatnot, but they seemed kind of confused on those plays. But, again, overall, you know, I think especially looking at Brennan Armstrong, I think he played well um, overall. And, um, you know, I think they had their chances. But against, you know, against Clemson, you can't – turn the ball over twice you have to make them get off the field on third down so you have to play pretty much perfect football in order to be in have the chance to win but overall man i think they have to be pretty satisfied but they're also you know kind of kind of mad they have that culture of winning and they're looking forward to that next game so i think that we'll see about how they come out against nc what you guys make of armstrong being the uh, leading rusher i mean not surprising the scheme trends toward that a little bit at times where the quarterback is asked to carry the load a lot. You know, obviously scrambling some, Clemson is able to get pressure, although not as much pressure as I expected, but able to get some pressure. And so that leads to the quarterback scrambling. And when you have a quarterback that can run pretty well, um, and Brennan can, yeah, I think that just leads to to him getting yards. I'm still a little bit concerned that as good as the offensive line looks and as much as they've improved, I don't know that they can just turn around and hand the ball off and tell the defense that this is what we're going to do. I don't know that we're quite there yet. I know fans are looking at yards per carry for the running backs against Duke and going, man, we just need to line up and run the football. Just don't know if it's quite there yet. So you're going to need the quarterback to, to get some yards. Whether he's the leading rusher or not, you're going to need him to get some yards because it's the, the keeping the defense honest and the, the element of surprise or the whole RPO thing where he might throw it too. Those are really important for this team at this current stage. Yeah, I thought the, uh, yeah, I, I agree with that, Chris. I think, um, you know, we'll see though. I mean, Clemson's Clemson. Their front seven is outstanding. They have a good mix of uh, some experienced guys with young guys and their linebackers are pretty good. So, you know, running against them, um, is definitely a challenge we'll see again i don't think uh any defense they're going to face you know maybe who, who knows maybe miami uh the rest of the way as far as um athleticism and toughness on defense you know but you know i said that i mean i, I think you it, it remains to be seen i think we'll have to see if uva can can line up and run the football i think that's something that they're going to have to do if always come back to only having two running backs is <laughs> is a pretty big concern uh at this point um we still don't know about ronnie walker jr and his waiver which is kind of uh, you could tell Coach Benenhall is not too happy about that, but I mean, if, and rightfully so. I mean, they should at least have a final decision by now. But with the two that they have in place, um, Brennan Armstrong, and we kind of heard about it in the preseason that you're going to be kind of surprised at how well he ran the ball. And I, I was kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I was kind of a little dismissive, but I'm actually kind of surprised at how well he runs the ball. You know, with his power, he's got really quick feet. He can kind of change directions. Now, he took some shots against Clemson, which is, I think, the, the big worry, you know, moving forward. I, I don't think they want him running the ball as much as he did against Clemson, but he showed that he can run, and he's a, he's a pretty tough uh, tough hombre. So, um, you know, I think they can. Um, you know, I think they're going to have to run the ball and have that balance the rest of the way to kind of uh, open things up for Armstrong. So, uh, you know, I'll I'll, I'll take a – I'll take a flyer. We'll, I'll wait and see to see if they can be like that. If they can be like that, then that uh, could make for a different season. Well, and uh, what did you think about the uh, wide receiver performance out there? Slow start, obviously, for Armstrong again. Uh, does that, is that concern you guys? And what about the different targets? Seems like they, they spread it around pretty equally uh, and a lot of talent out there. Uh, Chris Horn, back to you on this one. 
Yeah, I think, yeah, one for nine. Um, I mean, that's kind of understandable. I think it's not – I'm not really worried about that at this point. I think, like Coach Mendenhall said during his press conference, it's going to be kind of a growing thing. Uh, teams come out and play him differently, so he's going to have to learn certain things and, and how to um, – and I think he'll – he'll that'll come with experience and maturity and things like that. But, no, I think obviously his response to me was more telling and the fact that he was able to come back from that you know, you see, I think a lot with younger quarterbacks, they can just fall apart and, and not have um, ability to come back. And he was able to do that, especially with those three throws and uh, three consecutive throws towards the end of the half, I think really got him going. Yeah, as for the receiving core, you know, I was really er- worried uh, initially about the separation, like and the speed, overall speed of that group uh, against, you know, speedy secondaries and things like that. Can they create separation? But I'm kind of starting to change my mind because I think, I think Lavelle Davis Jr. is the real deal in terms of being that home run threat. Tony Poljan is is a big, big threat at tight end. I think he's still kind of getting, you know, some chemistry developed with uh, with Brendan Armstrong. But if he can develop then uh, with him and Davis being the big, bigger threats, that's going to take some of the pressure off of Kemp, who I think you've seen, uh, you know, Billy Kemp, who has shown, you know, he's uh, leading the ACC in receptions per game, uh, 8.5. And he looks fast. He looks good. Uh, and that, you know, that's going to help open things up again for Terrell Jana. And then, you know, we have yet to see Rayshon Henry really kind of enter the mix. So, yeah, maybe this receiving core has some pretty good promise if, if Davis and Paul Jane and those guys can kind of keep, keep going. Um, and then Kemp can keep, uh, keep going. And then, who knows, Tavares Kelly. And so they have some other guys who can come through, um, uh, as well. So I'm anxious to see how that unit develops over the course of the season. The starting slow thing I do think is concerning. <laughs> it's the whole Rocky thing. And it kind of fits Armstrong's uh, reported kind of personality. You know, he's a tough guy. He's, he's competitive. Um, he wants to fight back, you know, that sort of thing. Rocky, the movies were scripted, though. So when he's like, yo, Mick, I, let, I know what I'm doing. You know, let, let him hit me. Yeah, that may not work all the time when it's a competitive sport, right? So, yeah, I do think it's concerning. And I think the team thinks it's concerning because Dylan Rinkensmeyer said that it's being emphasized. Coach Mendenhall said that they're trying to give him throws early that we know he likes. Right, so it's not like they're not trying to to fix it, even though it they had a one game sample size at Duke. Well, now they have a two game sample size, and they're already saying, "Yeah, we got to figure out how to get the offense going better earlier." Right, because if you're going to come out throwing like they have, and then you go one for nine and whatever it was against Duke, I don't remember, but yeah, that's bad. That's not good. That, that changes field position. That could put you in a hole early. You're playing catch up the whole way. That's not always going to work. So I find that a little bit concerning. Uh, the multiple targets thing, four guys with a touchdown already, I think that's important because that was one of my main preseason questions is who are the touchdown getters? To have multiple people getting touchdowns, I think, is, is key. And Tavares Kelly was in a boot last week and, and didn't dress. So he's another guy that maybe, um, if he stays healthy, could, could get into the mix. And, and you mentioned Henry as well, who is not getting very many targets, the, the grad transfer. So maybe he gets targeted more um, as the season goes because it feels like he could be productive based on his you know, previous stats. Well, this was the first time COVID had uh, really affected uh, UVA. What was it, seven guys out, something like that? Um, did you guys make anything of that? Obviously, you want to be full strength. And you, like you said earlier, you got to play a perfect game pretty much to even have a chance in this type of game. But uh, football is a, is a funny game. I think it was 20 to three with that like minute or two before the half. And I'm, I literally said out loud, I think at that point, I was like, just take a knee, Bronco. Let's just go into the half. Let's take our, we took our lumps <laughs> and sure enough, boom, 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 three passes, touchdown UVA. I was like, all right, great, genius. <laughs> so, 
and just from like the average fan, you know, you guys are awesome uh, with the analysis and, and looking at the actual data. I'm more of the just gut feeling and, and perception is reality guy. And uh, this has been not just this year, but it, it just seems like a through line the last few years where we're trying to make these pinpoint, like the guy is tiptoeing on the sideline and they're running and out and like we're, these passes and catches that we're trying to, you know, these guys who maybe don't even have that much experience, we're expecting them to be like Aaron Rodgers or, or Brady out there. And it, it, so that gets a little frustrating at times. But is that a function of what the defense is giving us? Uh, you know, I get you guys have analyzed this uh, up and down. So fill me and educate me here. <laughs> right. So part of that is the separation thing Chris is talking about until maybe the last couple years. I guess first when Zacchaeus first broke out, it was just one guy. And then you had Dubois and Reed both able to get separation. And then Kemp started coming on. Jana started coming on. Well, now those two guys are still here, so they're getting separate. I think it's just another sign of how the program's growing, right? Like, you have more and more guys to threaten the defense more. And that starts meaning more openings like the ones we saw on the end of the half drive. Now, Clemson backed off a little bit, too. They got that sack on first down, and they were like, okay. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they were on their heels. So – that played into that. But when you have multiple guys out there that can get separation, can get open, it just changes everything because the defense can't roll the safety automatically over here or they can't automatically blitz and know that, you know, they're fine behind it. It, it changes things a little bit. And I think we're seeing the offense grow and develop over time, particularly after they switched it from, from Binkert to Perkins. You know, they played to Binkert's strengths initially, and now it looks more like the offense they wanted to run. And we're seeing that get passed down from year to year and – the succession planning and all those things going on. But I think it's just a function of, yeah, more, more guys needing to get more separation and we're starting to see that. So you see less of those tightrope walking type plays or the only, the only place I can throw it is in this teeny tiny little window. <laughs> we're seeing less of that, I think over the yeah. last, last season, the end of the season before that. And then at least these first two games, you know, this is the most points anybody scored on Clemson in an ACC game since October, 2018. Now that, that was a garbage touchdown late with Paul Jan. So but there were plenty of garbage chances for other teams along the way too. So yeah. um, that is apples to apples because plenty of teams have been on the wrong end of a lopsided score with Clemson. So yeah, I think the program's making progress. And they had to keep, you know, some of their key guys in Clemson probably longer than they, they wanted to there into the well into the fourth quarter. So uh, they probably appreciated it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you need to get tested to know what you got. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Dabo Sweeney said something similar to that. After the game, uh, it wasn't exactly a perfect game for for their standards, but um, I think he was happy to be tested, especially with Miami coming up uh, this week. I think it was good for them to to be tested, and yeah, I think Virginia had room for improvement again in the game if they tackle better. And you know, there are a couple of third down head scratchers. I think where UVA again, I think that could have uh, perhaps changed things. And then you know, kind of going back to Paul Jan, I think if he can become like a consistent threat for UVA across the middle, and then you have Davis on the perimeter, and then you can have Kemp and Jana kind of working, and you know, a, a speedy guy like Kelly, uh, if he can come back as well, or, or Rayshon Henry again, I think this could be, uh, you know, assuming Armstrong, which uh, yeah, I'm not, it could be a little bit concerning with his slow starts, but I think again, you're playing Clemson in game number two. The first one, the first game against Duke was his his opener, so I'm kind of giving him a pass. Now I'll caveat that if he does it again against NC State and then does it again, then <laughs> then uh, yeah, I'm certainly going to agree. But I think this again, I think I see a lot of potential if you know some pieces fall in the right way for for Virginia in terms of this passing game. So what do you guys think overall? 
biggest concern and uh, biggest positive for offense and defense? Yeah, we'll do offense first uh, since we were talking about Armstrong. I think the biggest positive has to be the, the offensive line. They have looked like we kind of thought they might, right? We talked all about preseason and, and all the way through the offseason, all five starters back, the top six guys are back, growing depth with, with guys coming up through the pipeline. Everyone was pretty healthy coming into the season. So you look at all those things, you're going, okay, this looks like an offensive line that, that might be pretty good, might be able to give Virginia a chance to let Brennan Armstrong ease his way in. And we've seen that through two games. I think the offensive line has been very good. You know, one sack allowed against Duke, held their own against Clemson. You know, I thought Clemson had to bring blitzes and things like that. They weren't just getting there with their front four all the time. Pretty good blocking that got Brennan Armstrong going in terms of the run game. You'd like to see a little better blocking, I think, in some scenarios. But some of that's from the non-offensive linemen, too, blocking downfield to really spring it. You know, we saw one Armstrong play where Rayshon Henry, if he had the block, Armstrong might have scored, right? But the, the receiver didn't get the block. So um, I think that, to me, is the biggest positive, is that the offensive line looks like we thought it could. And I think they can get better from where they are. Dylan Rinkensmeyer said that, too, that they're not at their ceiling yet. So to play that well out of the gates and against Clemson, to me, that's the biggest positive. The, the biggest concern for me is the turnovers. Just stop turning the ball over. <laughs> that's five in two games. Um, you lose the turnover margin, you usually lose the game. Got to stop that. Yeah, especially down in your own territory. Uh, what's that? Let's see. Three at least. I know the Kelly Kelly fumble to kick off the season. Hopefully that's not an omen to, you know, or a sign of things to come for the rest of the season. But then, you know, Armstrong with a couple of uh, really bad decisions or passes, I'm not sure, or both. I'm not sure. You know, a couple of those plays against Duke and uh, Clemson uh, giving the ball basically an easy scoring opportunities for both of those teams. So, um, yeah, I think offensive line is a given. I think they're showing nice chemistry right out, right out of the gate, and they have and they have some depth. So hopefully they can keep it going. And kind of to add to that, you know, maybe – can they reach that level where they are a dominant unit to open holes and to say, hey, this is third and one, we're going to run the ball right at you, and we're going to get it. Can they do that? Um, you know, we'll see. Do they have that next gear as well in addition? But – Obviously, off, I think off to a really good start uh, so far against Duke and Clemson. And the receiving core has been a, a good surprise. I think that was a pretty clear question. And, you know, Terrell Jana has his touchdown. and uh, But really, you're seeing like Billy Kemp, Lavelle Davis Jr., those guys really kind of uh, come out of the gates uh, playing very well. Yeah, you know, I keep going back to the running backs. You only have the two running backs. And I think they're both good, but not a, not a ton of explosiveness, I think, uh, that I've seen from really either one. I think they're both good, solid runners. But in terms of, you know, speed guys who can make, you know, break big plays and who are showing really well in terms of uh, being in, in the, uh, the past game. And that's kind of a question. And of course, if, you know, if, if uh, you know, unfortunately there's any kind of injury, then that really puts you in a bind. So that's kind of a main concern from an offensive standpoint. And what about defense? Do you think any particular player has stood out or a position group? What do you think? Yeah, I think so far my biggest positive is the versatility that we thought existed is there, right? We're seeing the ability to mix and match guys. We're seeing linebackers lining up in different spots. Uh, we've seen different safeties do different things. There is a lot of versatility being shown by the defense, and that's kind of become what the defense is known for. So that, that's a good thing that they can live up to their identity. I think they have uh, improved from where they struggled at the back end of last year. So there had to be a little bit of worry that maybe they couldn't get back on track because of all the no spring and this, that, and the other with the, the unique circumstances of 2020. But the defense, I think, looks more like it did prior to all the injuries last year. My biggest concern right now is I don't think they're getting the kind of pressure and havoc plays that we saw last year. And 
that was a very definitive uh, designed change last year. They wanted to get more sacks. They wanted to get more you know, tackles for loss, quarterback hurries, things like that. They are getting those things, but I don't think they're getting them at the rate that they want to get them at. And I don't think they have made uh, anybody look super uncomfortable. Now, Duke, yes, there was pressure there, although it wasn't as much as it could have been at times. And then Clemson, you know, Chris said it already. He said Pete Gillen. You know, Duke is Duke, Clemson is Clemson. So I don't know that we uh, that we know for sure, but I don't think they're getting home quite as much as they would want to. Yeah, I think um, you know the secondary coverage wise, I think has been uh, that was kind of one of my main concerns coming in, and I think that's been pretty good so far. I think the cornerback tackling has been a little suspect. I think Nick Grant has had two or three plays where he's had a chance to to make a tackle and hasn't really come through and made a tackle. Uh, love what I'm seeing out of Joey Blum. I think he's having a great, great season so far, especially with uh, the tackling, being a sure tackler. I really like Zane Zandier and Nick Jackson as inside linebackers. And I thought Zandier played a really good game, especially the first half against against Clemson. And, and Chris, I'm kind of interested to get your take as far as, uh, you know, the outside linebackers, Charles Snowden and Noah Taylor. Now, I know that against Clemson, they were doing a variety of things. As Coach Mendenhall mentioned that. And they're so versatile, they really try to utilize that versatility as far as in the past game and everything. But, you know, they were kind of conspicuously absent for me as far as getting pressures in the backfield and things like that. And, again, I know they were being used in, in a variety of ways, especially Noah Taylor, um, you know, in the coverage role. But, you know, what are you seeing out of – what did you see out of Charles Snowden and, and those guys against Clemson? And what's your take on the outside linebacker so far, which were – you know, they were supposed to be a strength coming in? Yeah, and there's an article on the site looking at Snowden specifically. So, I think they're good. I don't think they've been great. And I think that's what fans are feeling a little bit. I, I The reason I asked Coach Mendenhall about Snowden to begin with is fans seemed a little antsy about it during the game. And, you know, there's a little bit of, um, I don't know what word I'm looking for, like wanting where they you know desire to have a little bit more. I don't, I don't think that Taylor and Snowden have been bad. Their grades don't look bad if you look at the, the pro football focus breakdowns, things like that, but they're not, they're not giving you anything explosive or super eye catching. And I think we kind of got used to them having those moments more often last year, Taylor in particular. And we haven't seen that yet. We haven't seen either of them get an interception or a forced fumble. We haven't seen them really get that many sacks. I know Taylor was in on one and a half so far, which is second on the team. So it's not like he's not doing anything. But again, I think that that plays to exactly what I'm saying. But oh, only one and a half. <laughs> I think we're all we're anticipating so much from those guys that it feels like there's a little something missing. Well, and a couple of uh, stats, too, in case folks missed it. Uh, UVA, similar yards per play so far to LSU and Ohio State. As uh, Chris Wright mentioned earlier, most points by an ACC opponent against Clemson since Syracuse a couple of years ago. Almost pulled off the upset, if you'll recall. And uh, Brian Delaney, shout out to the kicker. He's made 15 straight field goals. It's a school record. Any thoughts about any of that? Or should we just roll on into uh, NC State in our next segment, guys? I was I was hoping Brian would have a chance to go 16 for 16 and cut it to 34 to 20. It would have made the fourth quarter a little bit more interesting for me, uh, but they decided to you know, go for it and didn't get the fourth down. But yeah, I mean, uh, it gosh, it, it it wasn't that long ago, but it's it's even hard to remember that UVA had so many hardcore struggles finding a place kicker. And Delaney has come in and just steadily wiped away those concerns. And of course, last year he was uh, rock solid. And then the, everybody remembers the kick to uh, uh, to go up against Virginia Tech. So yeah, he, he just he's done fantastic, that fantastic job as a, as a field goal kicker. And UVA's got some other good ones in the pipeline as well. But yeah, I mean, uh, Delaney's really made people forget about the struggles that they had 
at least made me forget about the struggles that UVA had early in Mendenhall's uh, era. That first year, they had several guys come in kicking, multiple guys attempting kicks. And then Delaney, I don't uh, – he started halfway through Mendenhall's second season, I think it was, against Miami at home. Had five field goals, I think, to, to help them win that game. It was either four or five. Um, and since then has been the guy. So, yeah, 15 in a row is, is pretty impressive um, on any level, I think. Well, and that uh, – what you were saying there, Chris Horn, about um, just a minute ago brought to mind that very – I think it was the very first drive or the first drive where – uh, UVA finally scored. It was a fourth and one, maybe fourth and two. And I had that thought like instantly of like, you just, you got to go for this. You know, it's, it's Clemson. You can't kick the field goal here. This is not going to be a 10 to three kind of game. <laughs> and <laughs> right. kick the field goal. We got the points on the board. Did you guys have any, uh, what's your general strategy when it comes to, you know, these big underdog kind of games? I mean, should you go for it every fourth down or is it just, you're just trying to kind of practice and get the get the reps in and that sort of thing I think Mendenhall has a history of kind of going for it so I was a little bit surprised that he didn't go for it on fourth and one for me it was kind of a uh, little bit of a tentative play call on the third and two they gave it to Talapapa up the middle and Clemson was uh, again they have a very talented defensive line and a really good um, uh, linebacking core led by I may mess his name up, but Stalski, I think, uh, who was right there to, to make the play. And, and so not not much space for Wayne to go. But I was okay with the field goal to cut it within, uh, you know, to get it within one score. Um, but, yeah, that's I, I still was a little bit surprised that they didn't, they didn't go for that one. I think generally inside the 35, fourth and two or less, you should go for it. The math says that. But ultimately, I think when you're – in that spot as a coach, it's a feel thing. Like, should we do it right here or not? Kicking an early field goal against Clemson fits into what he was saying about the overall goal plan, uh, game plan, though. Shock and all early. Don't get blown out early. If you miss a field goal and give them field position um, – or go for it and you give them field position, or if you, miss, if you miss a field goal, same thing would happen, I guess. But, yeah, you just don't want them to jump all over you because you didn't convert a fourth and one, and now they're, they're feeding off of that. Yeah. Well, we will move on to the Wolfpack, who did pick up a victory and in some ways, to my mind, kind of helps UVA out with their win at Pitt this past Saturday. We'll talk about that. They, of course, lost to the Hokies the week before and uh, started off the year with a field goal win in a high-scoring game against Wake Forest. So NC State on the docket next for the Who's, and we'll talk about them in the next segment here on the Saber.com podcast. It's your number one online source as a Virginia fan, thesaber.com. And here we go, segment number two for the saber.com podcasts, your uh, friendly neighborhood experts when it comes to UVA stats and analysis. we got Chris Horn and Chris Wright from thesaber.com. I'm Jeff Sweatman, your host. We'll um, delve into the world of music, talking Billboard Music Award nominees in a bit, but uh, and maybe a little UVA uh, men's basketball as well. But let's talk about the upcoming game on the football field for the Who's NC State. Big road win for them at Pitt. So they're 2-1 and one overall. Uh, what do you guys think about the Wolfpack? I've said the first couple weeks on the podcast here that they're not very good, and I'm sticking to that. <laughs> um, you know, I watched the condensed game version of them and Pitt, and Pitt left a lot on the table. They just did. I didn't think Pitt played uh, very well or as well as they could have. No, credit NC State. They caused some of those problems. They were getting penetration that was disrupting Pitt's offense. That's kind of been Pitt's problem here the last several years, though, is the offense can't quite keep up with their defense, right? So then if the defense does have a couple breakdowns or one drive, which is what ended up happening, 
NC State, I think, converted a fourth or not fourth and nine on the game-winning drive. You know, one play, the defense didn't make it. NC State ends up winning the game because your offense didn't take advantage of some of the things that were there, I thought. So I think right now they're still a pretender. We'll find out if I'm right or wrong real, real soon, obviously. But I don't think they're, they're all that good. I, I think they're decent. I just don't think they're contender status. I, I'm going to give them, you know, mild pretender status. <laughs> <laughs> Is it all about Devin Leary, you think, uh, Chris Warren, their quarterback? Well, he's looking pretty good. I mean, he closed out the Virginia Tech game. Of course, that was, you know, the, the latter part of a blowout loss uh, at Virginia Tech. Where, but he came in. Uh, led them to a touchdown. Um, I forgot his stats off the top of my head, but it, something like 16 to 20. And then he continued that against a, a good pit defense. Now, to Chris's point, I think Pittsburgh played an awful game. I mean, their defense, I believe, had 13 penalties for 125 yards. I think they're still jumping off sides. I just caught the first half, and there was offsides, offsides. They just seemed like they were maybe agreeing with uh, with Chris's point of view about NC State being a – uh, a pretender, and they they just didn't seem very focused. I didn't think Pitts, Pittsburgh's defense, which is definitely their their calling card, I think. But, you know, so we'll see. And, you know, I think, but I, I do think Leary it looks comfortable. So you know, UVA is going to have to make him uncomfortable. And NC State, you know, from what I've seen, is doing a good job of kind of moving uh, moving the ball around to various different places. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how UVA handles that coming off of uh, playing uh, playing Clemson. So they're they're kind of in a roll, but yeah, I think if Virginia comes to play, you know, I think NC State's had some trouble with with penalties as well. They haven't played necessarily crisp, clean football. They're you know the quarterbacks on a roll, and they've got some they've got some weapons. We'll talk about it here in a second, but but yeah, I think UVA if if UVA comes out and can eliminate turnovers of their own. And I think UVA should be able to take care of business at home. Might it end up being one of those who gets the ball last kind of games. Uh, looks like Wake Forest put up 42 on them. Uh, Tech had 45. And Pitt, even though they lost, had 29. Uh, NC State themselves have scored 45, 24, and now 30 in their three games. Sounds like they're tied in as a big part of their formula. Uh, how do you say his name, Kerry? Uh, Angeline? You got it. Yeah, Angeline. I don't think it's going to be a last possession game. <laughs> I'm sticking to my guns here. I think they're I think they're a pretender. I don't think they've seen what Virginia does defensively. I don't think the types of pressures and and twists and things that Virginia does is easy to prepare for. And NC State has not seen Virginia a lot. So we'll see if, if Leary is the star that Raleigh News and Observer crowned him already. A star is born was their headline. Um, yes, he threw for 336 and four touchdowns against Pitt. Hat tip, awesome game, super impressed. But if you go back and watch the film, receivers helped him out a lot. Yeah, I, I yeah, I like Virginia, and and Vegas likes Virginia coming out of the gates here. I, I think Virginia should take care of business. So, Chris Wright, you were saying uh, receivers helped him out a little bit. Uh, Devin Leary, talk about the overall offense for uh, the Wolfpack. Right. So yeah, he did have a big game, and we talked about that. Like I said, hat tip. But on a lot of those throws, if you go back and watch the game. They're the type of throws that Lavelle Davis Jr. had against Duke, right? Jump balls, deep down the sidelines, uh, pretty straightforward routes. It becomes a one-on-one -on -one battle, right? So um, Pitt had several pass interference penalties. Chris mentioned how many penalties they had overall defensively. A bunch of those were pass interference on those type of plays. And uh, there was one back shoulder throw to win the game, right, where the corner just didn't react quick enough right, right in the end zone. 
And then there was one deep ball where I thought NC State pushed off and got away with a, with a fast interference. So to me, a lot of this is going to come down to what Chris said earlier. He had less concerns about after two games, at least, is Virginia's secondary in coverage, right? Can Devontae Cross be consistently good out there? He's been pretty good the first two games. Nick Grant, um, can he can he be okay when you get nickelbacks like Amos, Nelson, whoever matched up? Uh, that's the one long touchdown Clemson had was a safety got matched up on, a, on an exchange of receivers. So a lot of this game is going to come down to that. Can those guys win one-on-one battles? And I asked Devontae Cross about it specifically. Well, one thing at corner that's big that goes for any corner in the country is that you got to win your one-on-ones. And when you see a team that's ready to launch the ball like NC State is, you know, that's exciting. That's what you want at corner. You're not there to play corner against a running team. You're there to play corner against a passing team. And, you know, it's opportunities, and it's all about winning your one-on-ones. You need to work on our game plan. So, I mean, what he's saying there is he's excited about it. (laughs) He's excited about it. He he wants to see these one-on-one opportunities. Um, If you're a corner, you don't want to play, like, Georgia Tech triple option, right? You want to – you want to be tested and you want to see what you're made of. So I think this is going to be a game where you get the test you want. You're going to get tested as corners. Can, can you rise to the occasion? And the last time Virginia played NC State, and it's been several years, different coordinators, different players, but NC State won a bunch of those one-on-one battles at receiver the last time these two teams met. So to me, that's the matchup um, that I'm watching. Well, and Chris Horn, too, they talk about confidence. I mean, when you win a couple of close games like that, too, your first three are close. It's – can't help but uh, add to the Wolfpack, even if they are kind of a mediocre team, they got to be kind of feeling themselves a little bit in, in the early going, right? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously uh, they got you know, crushed by Virginia Tech, but again, the wins uh, over Wake Forest and Pitt kind of both played out in similar fashions. I think they uh, lost the lead in the fourth quarter, but were able to come back and, and get the win in both of those games. So I think that definitely builds confidence if it gets to that point. But I, I do agree with Chris. I think if UVA – I think UVA matches up well with them. I think, uh, again, I like what I've seen from as far from a coverage standpoint, you know, from Nick Grant and Devontae Cross. And and they're two bigger cornerbacks. I mean, they're not, uh, uh, you know, Bryce Hall uh, necessarily, but, you know, Devontae Cross is a, has a big frame. He's about, what, 6'2", 215. Nick Grant's about 6'1", has a good frame on him. I think they match up well against NC State's receivers who are also their bigger receivers, Amezi, is about 6'3", I believe, and Carter is about 6'3", or 6'4". So I think UVA matches up pretty well. Angeline could prove to be a little dicey depending on, you know, because he's a bigger guy. So, you know, if he's matched up against UVA's smaller safeties, uh, that could uh, prove to be a problem. And I believe there was a play against Pittsburgh where I think it might have been the Angeline touchdown, where it was a similar play to the the Duke game where D'Angelo Amos came away with the interception. And he cut in front of the tight end. And if the if the quarterback had lobbed it over his head, it's probably a touchdown for Duke. But um, uh, it was kind of a similar play. This time Leary did lob it correctly over over the safety's head, and it went for a touchdown, I believe, for for NC State. So no, but I think UVA again. I I, I see pretty good matchups uh, for him. You know, the tight end I think is a little bit of, of a concern. Uh, but I think if they can continue to cover pretty well like they've done so far, I think. The cornerbacks do match up well, and, you know, if, if UVA can, you know, prevent, you know, some of those swing passes that Travis Etienne had where there was really nobody, no defenders within range, if they can kind of tighten that up, then I think they, they should be okay. Now, you know, Person did have, have, you know, I know these are different coordinators, but uh, when they played in 2018, Amezi 
had a uh, had a big game. He had about 90 yards, I think, and at least one score against Virginia. Person had over 100 yards rushing and kind of like a breakout game. He was uh, obviously a younger player then. So, you know, they've had some confidence. They've had some some good games against Virginia, so they may feel pretty good coming in. But, again, I think UVA matches up pretty well here. Well, they've got uh, on the ESPN football power index, 62.7% chance for UVA to win. So heavily favored. But then if you scroll down a little bit, the uh, the team stats, points per game, 33 points for NC State, 30.5 so far for UVA. Points allowed per game, 38.7. NC State, 30.5 for UVA. Total yards pretty close and uh, yards allowed pretty close. So I'm, I'm predicting more of like a 35-30 kind of game. Sounds like you guys both think it's going to be more like 50 to 20 or something. Is that, am I close there, uh, Chris Wright? <laughs> I think that's a little wider than I'm suggesting, but <laughs> right, I don't right. think it, I, I'm not, I'm not seeing shootout, you know, and I, and I could be wrong, but okay. to me, they're giving up 38.7 points per game against some of the teams that are not expected to be toward the top of the conference. Virginia Tech, obviously they struggle with. Virginia Tech was picked higher up, but against uh, Pitt, who, you know, like middle of the pack, could, could have been a contender maybe, but Pitt had all those issues with penalties and, and sacks allowed and just the, they just didn't play very well. So I can't gather a whole lot from that game. And the Wake Forest, I don't think it's very good. So I just don't think we know yet. When I, when I watched uh, some of the tape, there's some areas there that I like Virginia's offense, how it sets up to take on this defense. There are lots of plays in the Pitt game where the linebackers would vacate the middle of the field by giving them coverage responsibility within the scheme, right? So Pitt would pull somebody out of the backfield or take a slot receiver and cross a linebacker's face or whatever, pull the linebacker right out of the middle, and then those middle intermediate throwing lanes were wide open. And Pitt had a lot of gains on those and a lot of success on those, but were unable to capitalize at the end of drives. They had one where they were stopped right on the goal line. They had um, I think one where they had to settle for a field goal, that sort of thing. Opponents so far against NC State are 11 of 16 in the red zone in terms of scoring touchdowns. So not great. That's where NC State has survived the most at, but Pitt contributed a lot to those stats. So when I watched it, I'm going, okay, I can see a situation where Kemp, who's leading the ACC in receptions per game, pulls out the linebacker out of the middle and there's Jana sitting down in the seam on a real comfortable throw or pole Jan in the seam on a real comfortable throw. Um, that Armstrong seems to have been pretty good with throughout his career. Even in the cameos that we saw, those were the type of throws he looked the best on, I thought. So to me, provided the offensive line can, can hold up its end of the bargain and he has time to find those routes, in other words, have time to clear out the linebackers, um, I think Virginia can find some success in those areas. Yeah, I think it's going to be important. I mean, kind of like you mentioned, Chris, with, with Armstrong, he can't come out slow and they can't turn the ball over. So if they can clean those things up, then I think, you know, I think UVA has shown, you know, with the ability to run the football. I um, mean, you, you know, Virginia Tech's got a great offensive line, and, you know, you saw it again against Duke with their ability to run the football. But I think UVA can maybe, you know, I don't think they're at that level, but I think they can run the football pretty well with uh, Tyler Papa. Now, I know NC State does did get two of their better defenders back, a safety, Engel, and then a linebacker, Peyton Wilson, um, back last week against Pittsburgh, which I think helped them, but they still gave up 400 yards passing to – you know, a pit offense that really hasn't been very good. I'm still kind of wondering why they went away from the power running attack to try to open things up because they were harder to stop, in my opinion, when they had the power running attack. So I think UVA can bring some balance. Um, and then, you, of course, you had Armstrong as a runner. So if Armstrong can clean things up, not turn the ball over, and he, he mentioned that after the postgame is that you just can't force 
force plays like he did against a Duke, which turned the ball over again deep in Virginia territory, setting up a touchdown. And against Clemson, when when Clemson had a, a rollout pass covered, I mean that's that's an obvious kind of throwaway type play. So if he can just stick to those things and not not try to do too much, and then then I agree with Chris. I think uh, you know down the seams, I think you, and and the way UVA kind of likes to move guys around, I think there's going to be some opportunities for Virginia. And then I think I think they'll be able to run the football as well. Um, you know, up the middle. Well, and typically. It- it comes down to those guys in the trenches, offensive and defensive lines. Chris Wright, what do you think uh, on the offensive line for EVA coming into a game like this? Because, you know, I love long bombs and exciting plays just like everybody, but I also like those type of games when it's the team you're rooting for. And they, you know, I'll take three and a half yards <laughs> every play, just keep our offense on the field, keep them, <laughs> their offense off the field, you know, have uh, have it be three and out on on that side for uh, for NC State, and then just get right back out on the field and ju- just dominate time of possession. Don't turn the ball over. Those sorts of kind of basic things that seems like that's almost like an old school way of thinking now, where you have these teams that score so fast, and then all of a sudden your defense is out there a while. They're gassed, they you know, <laughs> and then it turns into this track meet regardless because uh, there, there's. It's such a complex game now, maybe compared to how it used to be. What do you think uh, of those sentiments? No, I think um, the biggest thing for me, the offensive line needs to do, and one, they do need to establish the run because I think this offense so far this season has looked better and Armstrong has been better when the running game has gotten going. It seems to give him a little more comfort level, right? So I think that's part one. The other thing here is NC State through their first three games is in the top 25 nationally in blitz percentage. They're bringing guys, okay? Um, It was less in the second game against Virginia Tech than it was in the other two games. So we'll have to see what their game plan is against Virginia. But if they bring the blitz a lot, the offensive line has to be able to pick that up. Um, And the running backs need to be able to help pick that up. That's going to be a big key. And Pitt struggled with it. There were several times where Pickett was throwing as he was hit or had to stand in and and release it just before he was hit. So that's a big key to me. I'm watching uh, Olu Oluwatimi in particular. You know, I don't, you know, he was the honorable mention all ACC, the best performer on the offensive line last year in terms of that stuff, in terms of being recognized. And I don't know that that he's been great so far. I don't think he's been awful. But if you look at the pro football focus grades, he's the lowest rated player on, up front so far in pass protection. So NC State had a lot of success of just taking their tackles and bullying the middle of Pitt's offensive line. If he's getting bullied and it's blowing up running plays or he's getting bullied and Armstrong has to feel uncomfortable and doesn't get his feet right, that could be the thing that causes trouble. So the offensive line's been good, but that one little area in the middle, can, can Oluwatimi kind of rise to the occasion? Because I think NC State does get pretty good push in the middle. Yeah, what do you think, Chris Horn, in my old school versus new school analysis? <laughs> you like that? Well, no, I, and I, again, it's perception and that based not on statistics at all. Uh, but, you know, Bronco, it seems to me like, and it's exciting. It, it's a style that I, I enjoy watching. I'm not criticizing at all, but it, it does seem like he wants to score and just keep scoring. doesn't really matter how quick or how slow. There's no sense of like, <laughs> let's, we're dominating these guys. Let's just keep, you know, put it on them. Like, we don't have to go. I don't know. That's uh, that's sort of my feel for things. And I love running up the score, but I also feel for the defense sometimes. <laughs> it seems like they're, they're out there a while. <laughs> I'm an old school Nebraska Tommy Frazier fan. So that was, uh, I love yeah. <laughs> running, running uh, right down your throat. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, yeah, I think uh, if UVA is in that position where they can 
potentially run it up. I'm sure they'll be pretty happy with that. But yeah, I think that's a, no, I mean, to, to kind of uh, piggyback off of uh, Chris, I think Olatimi obviously had a great debut last year. And then you're heading into, um, I guess the good thing is, you know, Chris Glazer seems to be playing pretty well. And uh, <laughs> Dylan Rankinsmeyer is also playing very well. So, you know, the two guys who are flanking him are playing very well. I think in terms of run blocking and pass blocking. So, you know, all of is doing a good job as far as the run blocking. So if they can get that, especially up the middle rush run game going and going pretty consistently, I think that will help take some of the pressure off as far as, uh, you know, pass blocking and things like that are concerned. So, um, but yeah, I think uh, just another test to see if that offensive line can remain consistent. And because as coach Mendenhall said, they're a cornerstone of, why they can be or how successful this offense can be. They're one of the cornerstones of, of the success so far. So they need to keep that going, especially when you have a, a quarterback in his first year as a starter developing. You don't want to have him under pressure, under duress every uh, every play. So, um, yeah, balance is going to be key for me. And then – but, yeah, hey, if, they, if they're in the in that position where they can potentially run it up, I think a win's a win, right? So they'll, they'll take that. <laughs> Very nice. Well, and some scores from around the ACC for folks uh... – that weren't paying attention. Wake Forest, 66-14 to 14 over Campbell. That was a Friday night game. Uh, he had NC State with the one-point win at Pitt. Pitt was ranked 24th, by the way. Uh, won't be for much longer. And then number 12, North Carolina. Big win for them uh, at Boston College. They hung on to win 26-22. Florida State winning at home. It was a struggle to begin with, but they did uh, put away Jacksonville State 41-24. They're breaking a rock at the end of the game. What is going on there? Come on, Florida State. Seriously. And uh, Virginia Tech winning. They had enough players to field the team at Duke. 38-31 the final there. So that's the rundown on the ACC. We talked about Rocky Balboa earlier in the show. We'll talk about a guy who has a Rocky poster in his office next on the Saber.com podcast. <laughs> All right, segment number three of the Saber.com podcast. Chris Wright and Chris Horn alongside your host, uh, Jeff Sweatman here, taking you through UVA sports this past week and looking ahead. Now, before we get into a discussion of Tony Bennett and the Who's, some schedule news for uh, men's basketball, wanted to quickly mention a new recruit joining the fold for the Who's on the football side. Chris Horn, tell us about uh, the guy who fans are excited about here. Yeah, well, now Noah Josie may or may not have a Rocky Balboa poster in his office. I don't, I'm not oh, sure, right. Not, yeah, it's not him. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he's, uh, um, yeah, for, I mean, just kind of keeping along with the offensive line. I mean, when Bronco Mendenhall arrived, that was kind of, I mean, he didn't he didn't mince words <laughs> that that was a position that needed to be addressed early and often uh, um, in his tenure. And, you know, you can tell how proud he is of where it is to this point. Um, in terms of development and, you know, they finally have enough depth and they're playing consistently and, and they're finally able to do what they want to do. So, uh, and that just comes through recruiting. So I think, um, you know, obviously they've gotten creative on the grad transfer uh, market as well, but um, as far as, you know, it, it, it starts really with recruiting and Noah Josie's a, a, a four-star, you know, I know the fans love to follow those stars. So he's a four-star recruit by rivals.com under armor, all American, and he, he's two. He's one of uh, four offensive line recruits in this class, 
and two of them have a four-star designation by at least one of the national recruiting outlets. So uh, Logan Taylor would be the other one. He's a he's a 6'8 tackle out of uh, a prep school in uh, Northern Virginia. So, you know, UVA is continuing to to add, you know, offensive linemen to the mix. You know, Andrew Gentry, who was their real, real you know, one of the top recruits that they've gotten in the Mendenhall era overall, he's on a serving a mission right now. Um, so he's going to be back in 2022. And then so you're adding this class, which is a promising young class that also includes Ty Furnish and Charlie Patterson, who are really good looking uh, prospects out of the state of Georgia, which has been very good to Virginia in terms of uh, producing really solid, reliable prospects. Just keep at, they're continuing to add to the depth um, and add you know promising prospects in the pipeline, uh, which is really what you need to do at, on the offensive line. It's it's uh, one of the toughest positions to recruit for a reason, and uh, you just got to keep adding to the mix and adding to the mix, and uh, they're doing that and you know landing an Under Armour All American over SEC schools like Alabama and Florida that definitely gets the fans excited as well. Yeah, he had quite the list of uh, schools going after him, so. Well, that's good news and some good news related to the schedule. Well, we can talk about a men's college basketball schedule. That's the first part of the good news. And uh, talk about this Mohegan Sun event up in uh, Connecticut. Is that right? Yeah, so CBS Sports' Matt Norlander reported that Virginia and Florida have agreed to a non-conference game at a neutral site um, in Connecticut at the casino complex there, the Mohegan Sun. So the reason that's interesting is we talked about our Orlando bubble a few weeks ago here wrote an article about it. Um, it looked like all of those ESPN events, which Virginia was in one of them, were moving to Orlando. Well, Georgetown backed out uh, of the the wooden, wooden Legacy Classic or whatever it's called. UCLA, I guess, was kind of up in the air there for a little while because the Pac-12 was at one point saying they weren't playing anything until January the 1st. So two of the four opponents were kind of up in the air. So um, it sounded like some things got moving behind the scenes and now Virginia is going to be going to Connecticut instead of Florida. I guess they could do both, but I'm kind of skeptical that that's, that's what's playing out here because the report said not only Florida, but a mid-major game as well while they're there. And the reason this is super interesting is the Empire Classic, which Villanova is, is in, moved from Madison Square Garden to, drum roll please, the Mohegan Sun, <laughs> right? So that might salvage the Virginia-Villanova game by having it played there as well. That has not been reported. That's reading kind of between the lines and following the tea leaves. But interesting situation because the director up at the Mohegan Sun basically said, listen, we can do this any way the team wants it. We can completely quarantine you. You can have your own floor of the hotel. You have your own conference rooms for meetings. It'll be yours the whole time you're here because they have all this space up there. You don't ever have to go through the casino to reach the, the practice floor. So you're never interacting with the public if you don't really want to. So it's about as bubble-ish as a bubble can get without it being an official bubble. Um, and they're planning to host multiple events there. And uh, it sounds like UVA and Florida might be one of those. And maybe potentially UVA and Villanova. That could be two really good games on the front end of the schedule there. Wow. And I know they've announced um, Gonzaga and Baylor, obviously two of the big uh, time programs from this past year. And uh, Baylor had had a big time year, but uh, December 5th, they'll be meeting in Indianapolis. So I think that's a CBS game too. So we're getting kind of these piecemeal uh, game by game sort of announcements here with uh, the revisions in the schedule. So interesting developments there. And yeah, I think we're all hoping for that uh, Villanova UVA game, wherever they need to play it. Let's, let's play it. <laughs> right, Chris Horn? Well, maybe some uh, payback against Florida as well. I mean, does Florida kind of yes. make the Michigan State list, I guess, as far as like uh, teams that have 
been a thorn in the side of Tony Bennett's Cavaliers? I think two so. Of ugly, two of the ugliest tournament losses were to Florida, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I Maybe mean, not uh, as painful as the Michigan State losses. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember Bradley Beal just going nuts on UVA. I mean, that was – but, I mean, UVA was so outmatched that game. I mean, they had, what, like – five scholarships, six scholarship players. So, you know, they kept just uh, running those guys uh, in circles. Um, unfortunate to see Mike Scott's final game, I think, in that way. And then, yeah, the Kyle guys, uh, freshman year, London Parentes, you know, going out like that, unfortunately. So, uh, yeah, no, I think they're definitely uh, a school that I think UVA fans are anxious to see on the schedule. And, you know, hopefully UVA can come through uh, with a victory. And then Villanova, I mean, obviously, I mean, I think both programs have so much respect for each other and they're both such top level uh, programs that, you know, it's e easy to see why they do want to play each other every year. Cause it's, it's going to make them better for tournament time. And uh, you know, so I'm sure they're hoping that that uh, comes to fruition as well. Virginia and Florida have never played in the regular season. So it's kind of neat from that standpoint. Uh, I believe Scotty Lewis, is that his name from, the NBA top 100 camp. I remember him being one of the players I liked a lot and he's on Florida's roster as well. So mm -hmm. yeah, it should be an interesting matchup if it's definitely happening. And Norlander is definitely on top of this stuff along with uh, John Rothstein. So um, when they report it, they've gotten it from pretty direct sources um, at that point. So yeah, something to look forward to it. We're a week to 10 days, depending on when you're listening at uh, to the podcast from the official start of practice on October the 14th. So we're definitely closing in on, on that time of year. You guys going to be in attendance for any of those uh, early practices? No, Tony doesn't let anybody watch practice. Ah, <laughs> uh, you can't sneak in. <laughs> to be on I thought you were going to ask if we were going to the casino. <laughs> you guys that going too. to? <laughs> hey, let's go. <laughs> I'll wear a mask. I'll social distance while I'm playing the slots. Yeah, that's that's. I, I can't wait. This this team and. Um, you know, as we've seen some of these other developments, everybody's taking the, the precautions and, and trying to be as safe, <laughs> safe as we can be. But yeah, so Villanova, Florida, and then there's still the, the Big Ten ACC Challenge, right? Is anything official? Have you guys heard um, when or if that will <laughs> be announced? Still supposed to be happening. Early December was kind of the date that was floated out. So that would be week two, I guess. So after the Thanksgiving kind of week to 10 days after that, I don't remember the exact date, maybe the 8th or somewhere around there is what they were targeting. So we'll see. We haven't heard anything official. So, you know, that means Michigan State's still on the table. I mentioned Illinois a couple of weeks ago. It sounds like they're getting a lot of preseason hype now. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that, if it still happens, and then who Virginia might draw. And you can rest assured that Tony Bennett will not be on Twitter, you know, saying why Michigan State and Izzo are dodging Virginia a la Chris Mack and, and his, his – uh, tirade against Kentucky <laughs> I was going to ask you about that yeah what do you guys make of that the Louisville Kentucky you got to play us in a uh, an arena with no fans and then the next year we're going to hold you to the deal where you got to come to our arena Calipari it seems like he's he's uh <laughs> sticking to his guns there <laughs> typical Louisville that's kind of what I thought I mean it was kind of funny to watch I'll give it I'll give him that it, it in terms of what they call shooting in the wrestling business that was a good shoot he was definitely like he was definitely selling it. And all I could think of was when I was taking pictures on the baseline last year for senior day, the whole Louisville bench of coaches were the most animated bench of coaches that I really remember. Like you see some here and there, 
with visiting ACC teams, and you'll see uh, an assistant coach get animated here and there. They were animated the whole game. You know, Gaudio is up constantly, and obviously Chris Mack is walking back and forth. And um, I can't remember the other assistant's name, but he was jumping up and running out. And he, I mean, he felt like Wojciechowski is who he reminded me of. Like, yeah, I thought he's going to run out and slap the floor and play defense, and he's an assistant coach. I'm like, man, calm down. <laughs> so it was is real that, easy. Is that Bill Murray's son? I, I'm not sure. I just know that whichever one it was 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 animated, right? So I'm sitting here going, yeah, competitiveness, feistiness, all that's good, but the difference in how those two programs vibe, Virginia and Louisville, stark contrast, right? And now they're the permanent crossover opponent or official rival that replaced Maryland, right? And they're kind of getting into that Maryland territory a little bit, I think, for Virginia fans, where it's like, oh, I can see why we're not a whole lot similar and why you get so frustrated when Virginia's won nine out of ten or whatever. Maybe a long-term rivalry uh, really starting to pick up steam. I'll give them a few more years. They'll change conferences. <laughs> Louisville, how many conferences have they been in? Yeah, but this one is the one that pays a, a decent amount of money. So <laughs> until then, they weren't in one of those conferences. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll uh, talk about the Billboard Music Award nominees. Uh, just focusing in on a couple of different categories. And uh, it was just announced the show's coming up soon. And it's going to be like a lot of these award shows have been this year. No audience. And uh, we'll see how it all plays out. But uh, that is next in our Turning the Table segment. Here to close out the Sabre.com podcast. The Front Porch is a nonprofit roots music organization, and we uh, connect everyone through music. I like the way that the Front Porch encourages people to to sort of engage with their community and sort of enlarge the community. Everybody is included, and that's really what the word community is about. You know, making sure that everybody has their chance to have a good time and and participate and add something. All right, welcome back. Sabre editor Chris Wright now in the uh, driver's seat for the last segment where we turn the tables with Jeff Sweatman. We're coming out of a basketball segment. We just mentioned that practice officially starts on October the 14th, which is also the day of the Billboard Music Awards, October the 14th at 8 p.m. No fans in attendance, <laughs> uh, as Jeff mentioned coming out of the last segment. So, you know, I don't know how much of it is virtual and, and how they're exactly going to do it and, and who's going to perform. They haven't announced any of that stuff, but they did release a lot of the nominees for a lot of the categories. So we thought we would touch on some of those and pick Jeff's brain and get him to make some predictions since he always getting us to predict, you know, 50 to 20 as the NC State score this weekend. So <laughs> we're going to put I'll him hold on you the guys spot. to that. It's That's my right. prediction of your prediction. <laughs> right. So we're going to put you on the hot seat for your predictions on some of these uh, billboard awards. So just right off the top, top rock, top rock artist, Imagine Dragons, Panic at the Disco, Tame Impala, Tool, or 21 Pilots. Who, who's the odds on favorite to you? Wow. Yeah, that's a tough one. Pretty different uh, demographics there, I would say. But, uh, Tame Impala, kind of the indie darlings, and uh, Tool, obviously, fervent, uh, rabid fan base from the, dating back many, many years. They, they made a triumphant return. And then I sort of put 21 Pilots, Panic at the Disco, Imagine Dragons is all sort of in the, the same bucket, uh, rightfully or wrongfully, but um, kind of crossing over not only alternative but uh into the pop realm in a lot of respects too I, I can't remember who votes for these billboard awards i think it might be fans just like average fans so if that's the case probably panic at the disco is going to win that and uh you could probably argue that they're more of a pop band than a rock band these days but 
we'll see how that goes. Maybe the tool fans can, uh, can stuff the ballot box and really <laughs> get an online campaign going. I could see them being like a dark horse candidate there. And I think it's funny too, the, the top rock tour is the, uh, the old guys, the geezers, Elton John, Metallica and Rolling Stones. So they, they can still <laughs> bring in those, you know, tour receipts for sure. What, what year was that? <laughs> exactly. That, those three have been touring forever. Yeah. The, um, yeah. I will tell you that my kids would probably say Imagine Dragons, not because they know anything about any of the stuff, but they love that Lightning and the Thunder song yeah, <laughs> because yeah. they would hear it at basketball games all the time when I'm coaching. My youngest, she used to say Light Bean, Light Bean and the Thunder when she was trying to repeat <laughs> it. So we'll give two kids votes there based on just okay. that one song at basketball games yes. <laughs> top rock album the lumineers three slipknot we are not your kind tame and plop impala the slow rush tool fear inoculum or vampire weekend father of the bride well listen i'm going father of the bride because i'm a steve martin fan both as a banjo player and as a comedian and of course he starred in that movie so vampire weekend gets my uh my nod on that <laughs> <laughs> Nice. This is like my wife picking the, the, the NCAA tournament brackets, by the way. Yes, yes, exactly. That team wears blue. They're going to win. <laughs> I mean, and just that's just 2020 right there. you got the Lumineers slipknot in, this, in the same category. Like, that to me is bizarre. This maybe is where Team Impala maybe splits the, all the other bands kind of split the vote. Slipknot and Tool kind of split the vote. Vampire Weekend and Lumineers might split the vote. So Team Impala might come out uh, on top there just in terms of the – the numbers of it. So that's my prediction on that one. That sounds like a North Carolina basketball ballot, right? <laughs> like these two guys are going to split the boat and that's going to leave a uh, NC state guys, the player of the year or something. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so la last category that we we're going to touch on, we're trying to do the rock ones was top rock song. Imagine dragons again, bad liar, machine gun Kelly with others featured. I think I'm okay. Panic at the disco. Hey, look, ma, I made it. And then 21 pilots twice chlorine and the hype interestingly you have two songs that are in the category but they were not on the top rock album category so are they telling us the rest of that album is not very good yes. <laughs> these two songs are <laughs> is that what they're hinting at there but what can you tell us about that category that's probably where imagine dragons wins i can see them winning because two 21 pilots songs that shows you what kind of year they had with with their album um multi-hit uh, smash but uh yeah, that's the funny thing too about these award shows. Everybody's trying to get their timeline. And I think this one's a March to March deadline. You know, for the Grammys, it gets confusing because I think it's an October to October. So there's some albums that are huge that come out in like November, but they're not counted towards that year's Grammys, which then people tune in for the broadcast in like February and they've been listening to the album for like four months. And it's like, why is my favorite album not even included in the nominee? So it does get a little funky and that. So that's why you sort of end up with, some of these hodgepodge of categories uh, right one of the <laughs> one of the pop categories had ariana grande in it for thank you next i feel like that's been forever ago i think yeah. that was the team i coached two two years ago was pulling yeah. a couple of songs off of that on the warm-up <laughs> cd so i'm going or the warm-up uh you know stream or whatever but but it's on one of the list here for for one of the awards and i'm trying yeah. you know your timelines get all kinds of well and and beyond the uh, the rock categories just for a second chris uh, i wanted to mention that top gospel song for kanye west songs from uh his gospel album i i kind of enjoyed that album personally uh, i'm not a huge kanye west fan or really a fan at all but uh it was kind of nice to have just a uh a spiritual album that had 
no cursing on it. And you could, you know, I listened to the whole thing while Silas was playing around in the background behind me. And it was like, I, I knew it was going to be okay. <laughs> like I see what Kanye is up to here. Okay. He's, he's found God and uh, he's going the gospel route for one album anyway. Now he's back to doing the pop thing again, but uh, kind of interesting. He's dominating the, uh, the awards there. We'll see if he has a, uh, if he does win, I'm sure he'll have uh, an interesting speech planned from a remote location in Wyoming, probably. <laughs> That'll be an interesting topic for a future week. I think Our uh, <laughs> artists who have changed their genre for an album or more. Right. So you, we mentioned Garth Brooks a lot. He did that. I think Taylor Swift's most recent album could count yeah. as that. And there are others, you know, Kanye West obviously doing a gospel album. Uh, Amy Grant back in the day crossed over from gospel into pop and country. And so there's, there's a pretty long list of, of people we could come up with for that topic on another day. But for this one, Billboard Music Awards. So we broke down some of the categories. We'll throw the thread up on the corner uh, message board like we always do. Who do you like in these categories? Who's going to win? Let's get some predictions from the fans throughout anybody they think got snubbed that's the favorite thing fans like to do who got snubbed on the billboard list this time we had a good discussion last week going um the rolling stone re-ranked their top albums of all time that was a really long uh entertaining thread where fans talked back and forth so we like to put those up we like to get your your thoughts on those things the other thing i'll say is thanks for listening uh the numbers jumped a bunch um here the last couple weeks as the football season's got going so uh you know subscribe tell your friends share it on social media do all those things that uh help us out. That's what I'm learning is small businesses can be helped a lot just by you helping us generate buzz because we don't have uh, the marketing budget to do it for ourselves. So uh, the more buzz you can help create, the better and go who's.